Thanks. The Bible reading this morning is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 18. We read along with There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God will be in. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Through his spirit he dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry as a father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Thanks, Jane. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we look this part of the Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus. As we look together at it now, please give us understanding. Please work through your word to change us to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit shows up? Uh, in high school, my best mate's dad was a pastor of Pentecostal church. And I remember one day walking to class uh, when he asked me if I spoke in tongues. I had no idea what he was talking about. He had to explain it to me. I said no, and he was shocked. If I don't speak in tongues, he wasn't sure that I was really a Christian. Well, to say I was rocked would be an understatement. I was really confident in my Christian faith. I was confident in what Jesus had done for me on the cross. What did he mean? 
Was he right? Was I missing out on something? Maybe you've wondered the same thing sometimes. Over the next few days, I dug into the Bible to try and figure it out. 1 Corinthians 12 gave me confidence that every Christian has a spirit, but not every Christian speaks in tongues. My friend and I debated. Eventually, we agreed, although we still enjoy robust debates about the Holy Spirit to this day. What does it really look like when the Holy Spirit shows up and works in your life? What should we be expecting? Well, today we're arriving at Romans 8, and after dealing with some objections to the gospel of grace over the last two chapters, now Paul starts to paint this compelling and comforting vision of the new life that Jesus calls us to walk in. New life in his Holy Spirit. You could say that this part of Romans is all about what it looks like when the Holy Spirit shows up and works in our lives. This chapter would have been a good one for me to read at that time, for clarity and assurance about the Spirit's ministry to every Christian believer. Because Paul paints here a very different picture of life in the Spirit than just the flashy and dramatic gifts that my Pentecostal friend valued so much. The Holy Spirit doesn't call attention to himself. His ministry is all about putting the spotlight on Jesus, giving us faith and confidence in him, transforming us to be more like Jesus. He's not so much into fantastical demonstrations. He's into the far more impressive miracle of new character formation in our hearts. From this chapter, we're going to see three things that the Spirit does when he shows up and works in our lives. The Spirit frees, the Spirit breathes, and the Spirit guarantees. You can follow along in your service boards and if you'd like. Let's get into it. First, the Spirit frees. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin. I'm not baby, but I hate it when people pass judgment on me. Especially if they're right. That's the worst. <laughs> but what about God? The one who rules the universe? Who knows everything that we've ever thought and said and done? Before his judgment, we're all left silenced. We all stand condemned for our rebellion against him. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. If we trust in Jesus, that guilty verdict we deserve is overturned. We don't need to be terrified of God's judgment. We don't need to fear hell, eternal separation from God across return. There is no condemnation, Paul says. Not now, not ever. Nothing we've done in the past, nothing we'll do in the present, Nothing we can do in the future. Nothing can separate us from God's love for us because there is no condemnation left for us. Jesus has dealt with it all. We need to be reminded of this every day. Even in those moments when we're overwhelmed with guilt and shame, when all we can think about is the things that we've done wrong, if we're united with Christ through faith, there is no condemnation left for us. That might be a verse to sort of memorize. 
This is actually the climactic conclusion of all, everything we've heard in Romans so far. There's no condemnation because God put Jesus forward as a sacrifice to turn away his wrath, as we saw in chapter 3. There's no condemnation because we receive the gift of righteousness through faith like Abraham did in chapter 4. There's no condemnation because we have peace with God, reconciled to him, transferred from the deadly rule of Adam into the life-giving reign of Christ, chapter 5. There's no condemnation because we've died and been raised with Jesus, set free from slavery to sin, delivered from being prisoners under the power of the law, chapter 6 and 7. This is what Paul's been building to the whole the whole book. Now so all that God has done for us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in him. But what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, it's because the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. Remember last week, Paul was making a play on the word law. He was talking about it as a principle of power, a bit, a bit like the law of gravity. Through Christ, the controlling power of the Spirit, who gives us life, has set us free from the old controlling power of sin that resulted in death. It's all because the Holy Spirit unites us or joins us to Jesus, in whom we have no condemnation. Through Jesus, we've died to the law so that we can live for God. A few weeks ago, I ordered a new doorbell, and I, and I ordered it online on Amazon, but I didn't realise that it came with an American flood. Does that happen to you? Not, not Australian. It's a great doorbell, but it's useless to me without the right connection. Only once I got an adapter that could, could I enjoy my new doorbell. For it to work at all, it needed the right connection. And our only hope for salvation is the right connection. Connection to Jesus. There is no other way to avoid the condemnation we deserve, but thankfully God gives all Christians the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who comes and lives in us, who connects us to Jesus so that we can be set free from the power of sin and death. We can never do this on our own. We can never do it through our effort or through keeping God's law, verse 3. But God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and forcing he condemned sin in the flesh. Here Paul's talking about God's law. We saw last week that God's law is good, but it's not enough to bring about real lasting heart change. It can't save us because of our sinfulness. That's the flesh, the natural human inclination we all have to reject God's authority over our lives and live in rebellion against sin. Because of our sin, because of our flesh, we can never make ourselves right with God. But God has done it. God sent his own son to earth on a mission in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was fully human, tempted as we are, but never sinned. And he died as a sin offering for us. Even though he was the only being, human being to ever live who didn't deserve it. He died in our place, taking our condemnation for us. That's why there's no condemnation left for us. Jesus has taken it all. God has already condemned our sin in the flesh of the cross. God has done. 
Why? Verse 4. In order that the righteousness, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, Jesus, by his perfectly righteous life, fulfilled the requirement of the law on our behalf. And as those who are joined to him, his righteousness is counted to us. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfect obedience. And this changes our lives. As those who are united to Jesus, given the Holy Spirit, we now walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We don't live like this to try and earn God's approval. There's already no condemnation for us. We don't live like this to try and pay God back. This is a free gift that we could never pay back. We don't try and do what is right because we feel guilty and we want to make up to God where we failed. The Spirit has set us free from the impossible obligation to keep God's law because Jesus has already done it all for us. The rest of this chapter builds on these first four verses. They show us what the Spirit does in our lives to bring about this Spirit-filled living, walking according to the Spirit. But it's all built on this. The Spirit has set us free from condemnation by connecting us to Jesus and enabling us to live for Him. Second, we could say that the Spirit breathes new life into us. A life in stark contrast to our old life in the flesh. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to their spirit, to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, He changes everything, starting with our minds and our desires. Before we knew Christ, the whole direction of our lives was against God. That's what Paul points out in verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Without the work of the Spirit in our lives, it's not that we're neutral to God, we are totally against Him. This doesn't mean that unbelievers can't do good things. We all know moral people who aren't Christians. They give to charity, they treat others kindly, they think I can be a good person on my own, I don't need Jesus for that. But the reality is, without the Spirit, all of us in our natural state as human beings can't please God. Because whatever motivates those good actions, they're not for God. And so there's still an expression of our rebellion against Him. That helps understand this. Imagine this guy who is the perfect husband. He goes out of his way to serve his wife. Before she even asks, he anticipates her needs. He listens to her. He never gets angry. He buys lots of presents. He cleans the house from top to bottom every day. All the husbands are shifting in their seats at the moment. But then, imagine that after years of this, she discovers that he's been having an affair the whole time. The betrayal of the relationship poisons all his good actions. 
The affair destroys any sense that he was truly acting out of love to please his wife. And in the same way, our natural state as human beings is hostility and rebellion against God. That's actually the core of sin that poisons everything. Remember last week, that part of us that reads the sign in Bunnings that says, do not count, and just wants to count it straight away? Wants to disobey simply because we want to rule ourselves, not be ruled by others? Wherever sin shows up in our lives, Pride and greed and selfishness and lust, whatever it is, it all comes back to a mind governed by the flesh and rebellion against God. That's what leads to death. And it takes all the good things that we can do. But the person who's come to know Jesus through the gospel has been moved into the realm of the Spirit. Through his spirit in us, our minds are now set on what the spirit desires, and the end result is life and peace. If we trust in Jesus, then that's our situation. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit dwells in us, then we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That is our objective situation. Our mind has been changed. Even though often we struggle to reflect it, even when we still wrestle with sin, the struggle against sin is evidence itself that the Spirit has worked in our lives to breathe life into us. The struggle is proof of spiritual life. Here the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ because they're united as members of the Trinity. And so when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, Christ dwells in us through Him. If you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation, God has sent His Spirit to live in you. And your whole fleshly attitude of rebellion against God has been transformed. Now, some people teach that not all Christians have the Holy Spirit. That it's a second blessing that you can receive later that leads to a higher Christian life. But Paul says here that anyone who doesn't have the Spirit doesn't belong to Jesus. There is no such category as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. If you trust in Jesus, if you belong to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And it's not like the Holy Spirit is a, is a house guest who comes and goes as it's convenient. So that when you have a spiritual experience or you're making progress in godliness and the Holy Spirit's in you, that if you're struggling or feeling spiritually dry, the Spirit's deserted you. No. It is true that we can allow the Spirit more or less control in our lives, which is why in Galatians, Paul says, walk in step with the Spirit. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident in us if we belong to Jesus. The Spirit is a down payment, the deposit, the guarantee that God will fulfill all his promises, not just in the present, but in the future too. Verse 10, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The amazing power of God that brought Jesus back to life after three days is at work in us. He will one day do the same thing for us. We will be given resurrection bodies and welcomed into Christ's everlasting kingdom. The Holy Spirit, he guarantees our future salvation. The Holy Spirit isn't an optional extra for the Christian life. He's like oxygen. He's the essential ingredient for your spiritual life. You'd be stupid to say, you know, oxygen's nice to have in the tank. Like some days you need it, some days you don't. Nice to have some spare just in case. That's not how it works, is it? We rely on it every minute of every day. And in a spiritual sense, if we belong to Jesus, we've been transferred out of the realm of the flesh into the realm of the spirit. His life-giving power is as essential for the Christian life as oxygen, both now and forever. And because the spirit is working in us, giving us life in our minds, guaranteeing us eternal life in the future, he also transforms our life in the present. He empowers us to live out the, pur the purpose of our justification that we read back in verse 4. That more and more, like our Saviour Jesus, we would be people who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit objectively transforms us when we put our faith in Jesus, so that even though we still struggle with sin, we've been given life. And so Paul calls us to live like it, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We don't owe anything to that old way of life. Those old fleshly habits of lying to make yourself look better in front of others of being tied with your money, of bearing grudges, all those things stem from our old attitude of living for ourselves rather than for God. We have no obligation to them any longer. Because we know that where those things ultimately live, they lead to death. See, even now as believers, Paul is warning us that if we continue in a settled, unrepentant pattern of sin, of the acts of the flesh, they will lead to suffering now and death, ultimately eternal death. If we persist in that kind of living, that kind of sin, we show we never had true faith in Jesus. Anymore. We need to take this warning seriously as we think about the sin that we struggle with in our lives now. Don't give up the fight. Don't make peace with sin. That stuff is dangerous for your very soul. We have no obligation to the flesh. Instead, we have a life-giving obligation to the Spirit. We don't live according to the flesh anymore because God has given us everything we need to make progress in the fight against sin in our lives. By the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the body of the living. Now, Paul is not saying here that we are saved by what we do. By, that by putting to death the deeds of the body, we earn life for ourselves. No. The life that we have is a gift of God that we receive through faith. 
but fighting against sin and living for God are the fruits of real faith in Jesus. As Calvin said, we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. So Paul, he calls us to cooperate with the Spirit's work to transform us. He calls us to live out our new life by our new life-giving obligations to the Spirit. And it's only then, cooperating with the Spirit, that we're actually able to change. This is not let go and let God, as if we don't have to do anything. Paul actually calls us to put to death the deeds of the body. We are to wage war against sin. Our sinful actions and thoughts, our selfishness, our lusts, our sinful words, we are in a fight. No quarter should be given. We need to take this seriously. To, to think about the places in our lives where we tolerate sin, where we nurse sin. Confess those sins to God. Repent, turn away from them and turn to God. Seek the help of other believers. Pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you to put that sin in. Because this passage reminds us that it's not just, it's not let go and let God, but it's not that we need in our own strength either. We do this by the Spirit. Relying on the mighty resurrection power of God Himself, who dwells in us in His Spirit, and is able to change us to be more like Him. When we cooperate with Him, in dependence on the Holy Spirit, real lasting change really is possible. Satan wants you to doubt if you'll ever be able to make progress in becoming more like Him. He wants you to think that sin is undefeated. That you can't put sin to death. But the Holy Spirit is in you. He has breathed life into you. He is transforming you. And he is the guarantee that one day you'll be raised and sin will be dealt with forever. Yes, in this life we will struggle with sin, but with the Spirit living in us, ultimate victory is guaranteed. It's not just our future that's guaranteed. See, the third thing that we see that the Holy Spirit does is He assures us of who we are now. The Spirit guarantees that we are God's beloved children in Jesus. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons, by whom we cry, Abba. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Probably the greatest privilege of belonging to Christ is that we are adopted as God's own dearly loved children. We're no longer slaves living in fear of our master's wrath. We're children with our own special place in the family. My kids, they love staying with their grandparents, right? They have a great time, they get up to all sorts of adventures, it's great. But when they come back, they always miss mum and I won't say who they miss more. <laughs> See, as loving, as kind as their grandparents are, 
It is not the same as the relationship of a father with his child. There's a warmth and trust and an intimacy that's absolutely new. In that moment that my kids run to me and they say, Daddy, you big hug. That's the relationship that we have with God through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, we cry out to the God of the universe, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's the way Jesus addressed his Father, and we get to share into it, you know. Just think of the audacity of that relationship. It was captured by Bilkis Sheik, who came to Christ from a Muslim background. She wrote a book that was called, I Dare to Call Him Father. We were trapped in sin, bound for death and condemnation, enemies against God, rebels against Him, powerless to save ourselves, no hope of drawing near to God. And now He saved us, dwelled in us through His Spirit, and reassures us that we are His sons. This is actually profoundly countercultural. In first century Rome, only sons received inheritance rights. But Paul is saying all Christians, men and women alike, gain that status as adopted sons. We are all full heirs of God's promises, given the keys to the heavenly estate. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified. One day soon, we will get to taste that wonderful heavenly glory of our inheritance. Life forever in the new heavens and new earth, ears of God's kingdom with Jesus. It's not something we have to earn. It's not something we have to fear we'll lose every time we mess up. That would just be a return to slavery and fear. Instead, God reassures us through his spirit. You are my child. I love you. All of this will be yours soon. Guaranteed. That doesn't mean a trouble-free life. Paul actually says we're going to share in suffering, just as Jesus suffered. We'll face sickness and grief, pain in relationships, even opposition for following Jesus. But that doesn't change a thing about who we are. In fact, sharing in Christ's sufferings is confirmation that we will also share in his glory. And that glory is not even worth comparing to suffering. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. That is what it looks like for the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Not the flashy, showy spectacle that my friend was used to looking for. The simple, quiet, profound work of setting us free from slavery to sin and death by joining us in Jesus. The work of breathing new life into us, changing our minds, guaranteeing our future, transforming us in the present as he enables us to put sin to death and walk in the Spirit. And the comforting assurance that we are sons, loved by God, full heirs of all that He has promised us, looking forward to glory beyond comparison with our present suffering and struggles. So be comforted. 
There is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Be assured of who you are in Jesus, a beloved son. Be confident in the future glory that he's promised. And go into battle against sin, putting it to death as you live in the new life that the Holy Spirit has given us with his Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus and through your Spirit. Thank you that although all of us have sinned against you and deserved your righteous judgment, in Jesus there is now no condemnation for us. Thank you that the Spirit has given us life, changing our minds and desires, guaranteeing our future eternal life, and strengthening us now to live and to walk and to fight against sin. We thank you too for the comforting assurance that we are your sons in Jesus. This week, please comfort us and remind us of the work of your Spirit. And please help us to keep running to him and through him put to death the deeds of the flesh and live in a way that more and more brings you glory to God. We look forward to the day when we'll be raised, we'll be with you forever. We pray these things in Jesus.